My name is LJ, and I am the mission pastor here at Third Church, and I have the opportunity to introduce you to our speaker today, whose name is Marilyn Borst. And Marilyn, I want you to come up, and I'm going to say some nice things about you while you're up here. She is the Associate Director for Partnership and Development with the Outreach Foundation. She helps churches discern God's call to um, global engagement. She works alongside the global church in Africa, Latin America, the Caribbean, Asia, and the Middle East. She travels extensively, nurturing relationships with church leaders. And prior to her um, time in the Outreach Foundation, she served in churches as well. She served at Peachtree Presbyterian Church uh, and oversaw their international partnerships, a very large congregation. She holds a BA in classical studies, an MA in theology, and an MA in art history. And here's a fun fact about Marilyn. She has done archaeological digs in Jordan and Egypt, and she's an elder at North Avenue Presbyterian Church in Atlanta. May I pray for you? Okay. Father, we thank you so much for Marilyn and the many gifts that she has. We thank you for her heart and her passion for the global church. We ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would bless her as she brings a message fresh to us today. Give us ears to hear, Father, and give us hearts, Father, that are moved by the global church and how we can be in partnership with them today. In Christ's name, amen. And before LJ goes back, to the pew, I have a favor to ask of you. I want your biggest smile, and I want everybody in the balcony to stand, because you're just a bunch of little heads up there. So I want you to stand, and when I say one, two, three, I want your biggest smile, everyone. One, two, three. And I'm going to give you that, and then I'm going to explain to these good godly people why they will soon be on Facebook. <laughs> Listen, all the problems that Mark Zuckerberg is going for through, I say a prayer every night and say, God bless Mark Zuckerberg. And this is why Facebook is a wonderful lifeline to the church in difficult places, the church in Syria, the church in Iraq, the church in Pakistan. All of them communicate by Facebook. All of them communicate by WhatsApp. That is a wonderful tool for being connected to the church. And the reason why I took your picture is because I'm going to be talking with you about knowing and being mutually encouraging to the church. And many of the churches that I will share with you, stories of their faith and faithfulness, are in difficult places. And if you are in a difficult place, whether it is in life, whether it is your church in a dangerous, difficult part of the world... Wouldn't you like to know that someone has heard your story and knows what you're going through and has lifted up a prayer for you? This is what will happen before the day is done and if the internet is working on the way back to Atlanta. Because I want to share with you stories of the global church and of their faithfulness and lessons to learn from it, but I first want to begin with a very important word of thanks to Third Church here in Richmond, Virginia, because you have been a partner of the Outreach Foundation for close to 30 years, I am told. 
Outreach Foundation was founded about 44 years ago to help congregations, Presbyterian congregations like this, go deeper and further into God's mission around the world. And we are an organization that serves our Presbyterian family across the spectrum of our Presbyterian denominations. We are governed by a board of elders and pastors and one of our trustees, one of our guiding lights on the, uh, uh, on the Outreach Foundation board is your own Pastor Fakri Yaqub, or Assis Fakri, as he would be called in Arabic. We exist to help congregations go deep, and in that relationship, we also rely upon the generous gifts of congregations to support the work and witness of the church around the world, and you have done that over and over again, sponsoring church planting initiatives in Egypt, which I know you'll be hearing even more about when Fakri and um, LJ and others go to Egypt in just a few weeks. But over the past couple of years, over the past four or five years, with so many problems in the Middle East, you may not know that your church and your gifts have gone generously to support the work and witness of our Presbyterian family of faith in places like Lebanon and Syria and Iraq. Yes, there are Presbyterian churches in all of those places. It has gone to support Christ-centered refugee ministry in Lebanon and in Jordan. Those gifts have been an invaluable reminder of the oneness of the body of Christ and Outreach Foundation cannot do the work that we do without the partnerships that we have with godly missional-minded congregations like yours. So today's passage that was read so beautifully in the heart language of the people of Pakistan by Dr. Scott is, for me, the simple kind of put-it-on-one three-by-five card instructions that Paul leaves us as to how to engage with Christ's church around the world, how to be that encouraging presence that he talks about. And Paul gives us three what seem to be very simple steps. He begins as he writes to the church in Rome, he says a simple thing. He says, your faith is being reported around the world. Paul made it his business to know what was going on with the global church. He did a much better job of that, I would maintain, than most of us, even though we live in this era of mass technology where we, in a moment's notice, I can sit there in the pew during worship and get information and updates on what is happening around the world. But do we? Paul gives a second thing. He says, not only know the circumstance of the global church, but pray for it. Intercede on its behalf. And all of us can follow pretty closely with Paul going, yeah, we need to know and we need to pray. And Paul doesn't say this in this passage, but we need to give. But then Paul almost goes a bridge too far because he ends by saying, by God's good grace, I long to come to you. I long to see you that I may impart to you a spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. I long to see you. Paul says, come, stand toe-to-toe, face-to-face, hand-to-hand, tear-to-tear, laughter-to-laughter with the church 
and know their story, be encouraged, and encourage them. And that is one of the things I would challenge you on. If you look at the front part of your worship bulletin, I'd encourage you to go to that. Because I don't want you to miss a little toss-away quote at the bottom. LJ had um, written me earlier this week and said, do you have a quote that you want to put on the worship folder? And I said, yeah, I've got one that has helped guide my life in ministry, both in, in church ministry, working on the staff of Peace Tree before that First Press Houston, but certainly with the Outreach Foundation. And it's these words by Frederick Beekner, who some of you may, may recognize as a pastor and writer out of our own Presbyterian tradition. And this is the challenge from Frederick Beekner. He says, if you want to know who you are as opposed to who you think you are, pay attention to where your feet take you. If we say that we care about the inner city and about those who are broken and poor and disenfranchised, but we don't show up there, how much do we really care? If we say we are called to join God's work around the world, but we never entertain even the possibility of going there, are we true to our word? Pay attention to where your feet take you. Paul is one of those persons who allowed his feet to take him around the world, even against all good logical reasons for him to go and to show up in those places. And I think God calls us increasingly to listen to that call to be salt and light. We heard that wonderful passage as part of the baptismal promises for this little one. And I am reminded that um, one of the things that I often share with congregations is, you know, in congregations there's often a tension between local mission and global mission. You know, and the argument is often said, you know, we have so many things happening around us, so many issues in our own city, wouldn't we be better served to just stay here locally, put our resources, our presence... And I gently remind congregations as they're having that conversation, I draw them to the Great Commission, not my words, but Christ. So hear them in that context. He says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And I remind congregations gently that the last time I looked, that was not a multiple choice question. Christ doesn't say, choose one of these things. Jerusalem, yeah, stop right there. That's good. That's good. You've chosen Jerusalem. He says, you will be in all of these places, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. God calls us further and further afield in his name. It is not an option. It is what he has called us to. But what I want to share with you today are some lessons that Paul has taught me in his words And also what I have learned from my experience of showing up to the church around the world, bringing people with me to meet that church, often in in difficult places. In fact, tomorrow, about this time, in about three minutes, I told my husband, you will need to be driving me to the airport in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm on my way to Lebanon. It'll be my 29th trip to Lebanon. I'll be meeting up there with a team of five other pastors and mission leaders from congregations around our United States who will be coming with me to meet the church in Lebanon, more significantly to meet with some of the ten pastors of the Presbyterian Church in Syria who will be coming over to be with us, and if God so wills, we will be given visas by the Syrian government 
to travel into Syria to see those congregations in their places of worship and ministry. This is not my first rodeo, by the way. Um, this is something that I've been doing for a long time, was recently in Lebanon in January, was in Syria twice last year. In fact, during the month of April, had an opportunity to go up to the far northeast corner of Syria to worship with three Presbyterian churches in that place. But in that mission, to be encouraged and to be encouraging. And so what I want to share with you in our time together here are some lessons learned why we need the global church, why the global church needs us. And I'll start with this first lesson, this first picture. And I want to share with you some images because if you're a visual learner like many of us are, it's not just the hearing, it's the seeing. And I want you to see faces of the global church that may come away in your heart and in your mind in the the days and the weeks to come. And I begin with this lesson. We need the global church because they model for us perseverance. They model for us perseverance. And I introduce you here to a Chinese pastor by the name of Reverend Wu. Reverend Wu. Isn't that a great name? She was about four foot tall. She was 83 at the time I met her. I don't know if she is still alive. I suspect she is because she was made of that kind of stuff. And she, for me, modeled what Paul means when he talks about perseverance as a faithfulness over a long period of time that requires a difficult walk through difficult times. When Paul writes, even just a little bit later in the book of Romans, and he says to that same church, he says, we rejoice in our suffering. We rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope and hope does not disappoint us because of our hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Perseverance, that long obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson Peterson talks about, but more specifically, perseverance is a faithful walk through difficult times that the world watches and notes. Why do they do this? I met Reverend U 10 years ago. In fact, in this very month, in the month of April, 10 years ago, In China, in the city of Shenyang, Shenyang is a large Korean-Chinese-populated city in the northeast quadrant of China, not far from the North Korean border, and that's why I was there, because I and a small team of Presbyterian leaders were on our way into North Korea. Another story for another visit to Third Presbyterian Church, perhaps. On our way into North Korea to the capital of Pyongyang to meet with, yes, the church in North Korea. Yes, brothers and sisters, there is a church in North Korea. We are on our way there to be an encouraging presence to them, and God did grant us the ability to do that. But the story that I want to tell is of the days that we spent waiting in Shenyang for all of the necessary business to be conducted, the security clearances and the official visas and the the plane tickets for the few planes that are allowed to fly from China into Pyongyang. And as we waited there in Shenyang, we sat at the feet of Reverend Wu to hear her story, knowing that at 83 she had lived through an incredible time in the history of the church in China, and we knew that we would be inspired, and indeed we were. Because as Reverend Wu lived out or told us the story of her life in brief, it was this, that she had been born in the 1920s 
when China was full of foreign missionaries, as she said, some six to 7,000 foreign missionaries were in China in the 1920s. And she said, everywhere you look, there was a church being built or a Christian hospital or a Christian school that was being populated. It seemed that Christ was on the rise in China. She said, but then all of that began to change very dramatically in 1946 with the coming of the communist revolution. And in one fell swoop, all of those foreign missionaries were thrown out of China. The indigenous leaders of China that had been raised up to lead those churches, many of them fled, knowing that communism would not smile favorably upon the church. And she said, we were bereft of leadership. We were bereft without knowing what to do, but we tried to carry on faithfully and thought we had weathered the worst possible thing until 20 years later came the cultural revolution, the doubling down of communism. Mao Zedong thought that over 20 years the Chinese people had gotten a little lax in their communist ideology and said we need to double down, we need to eliminate every thought focus that is not communism, which meant culture was suspect, which meant intellectual inquiry was suspect. Professors were thrown out of universities, sent to do hard labor. Books were hauled out of libraries and burned in the streets. And what few pastors remained, many of them were put in jail or sent off to hard labor to break them of their foolish ideology of faith in Jesus Christ. She said, it was the dark days for us, and we didn't know what would happen. But then she fast-forwarded to look at China and the church in China at that time in 2008, and it has only gotten more better, if we can use that double. It has gotten even better because, she said, now look at us. We are one of the fastest-growing churches in the world, in fact, growing so fast that we only have one pastor for every 10,000 believers. That's what we call a delightful dilemma in many ways. And where China used to be a book-burning country, now we are the fourth-largest printer of Bibles in the world today. The perseverance, the faithfulness of people like Reverend Wu, honored by God through those difficult circumstances to now see Christ circling back to bless and to grow that church. We need the church in difficult places because it models perseverance. Another important lesson I've learned from the global church, and here I share with you an image from Syria. And by the way, when I chose this picture to share with you, this was before Friday night as I sat glued to my television set beginning at 9.30 Eastern Standard Times as strikes began inside Syria at what was 4.30 their time. And as I went back and forth between my phone and my iPad and my computer trying to get as many voices coming out of Syria from, uh, from, uh, from WhatsApp and from Facebook and emails, what was happening to our congregations in those places. But the church in Syria, 18 faithful congregations, Presbyterian congregations there, 10 pastors who lead them, and here this wonderful selfie of a group of young adults from the Presbyterian churches in Syria gathered for their annual summer conference where they come together for a time of learning and fellowship and equipping just like faithful Christians do everywhere, and there they are. And given the joy on their faces, it may seem ironic that I use this to illustrate one of the other lessons that we need from the global church, why we need them, and that is that they allow us to suffer by proxy. They allow us to suffer by proxy. Stay with me on this one. 
But Paul is the great theologian of Christian suffering. And when Paul writes about suffering, it's not just kind of the obvious that it it may happen. It's likely to happen, but Paul indicates it must happen. And he says this, in fact, again, in the same letter to the church in Rome in the 8th chapter where he writes and he says, if we are heirs of God, then we are co-heirs of Christ if, if we share in his suffering so that we may share in his glory. If we share in his suffering. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm all about the sharing of Christ's glory. That sounds like a pretty good place to be. But Paul said, hold on a minute. If you're intending to share in his glory, then you had better share in his suffering. I always found that a very troubling theology because as Paul is writing, of course, everything Paul writes in his epistles has application to our individual walks of life. But Paul is writing first and foremost to the church. He's writing to the church. And so I wrestled with that concept because what if you are not the church that has yet been called to suffer? How do we in the West, we are not the suffering church, how do we participate in the suffering of Christ? It was explained to me, perhaps very appropriately, by someone from a suffering church, by Michelle Sabah, who at that time was the Latin Catholic patriarch of Jerusalem, presiding over the small remnant of faithful Christians still remaining in the Holy Land, indigenous Christians in that place. And he looked out at the congregation of First Presbyterian Church Houston at that time when I was on staff, and he said to these good godly Presbyterians, not unlike yourself, if you are not the church that has been called to suffer, go find the church that is suffering and stand with it. Go find the church that is suffering and stand with it. We participate in the suffering of Christ's church to the extent that we stand with them, as many of us have done with the church in Syria, as you have done with your gifts and with your prayers, which I think will now increase abreast of having seen their faces and maybe someday to come with me to meet the church in that difficult place. We need them because they suffer on our behalf. A third lesson I have learned of why we need the global church, we need them because it is a reminder, they are a reminder to us that Christ is still growing his church around the world at times where we want to wring our hands both about what we see as the demise of what seems to be the church in the United States or we look in a part of the world and say, gosh, Islam seems to be on the rise, what is happening with the church? The church reminds us, the global church, that Christ has a mission. He's still on that mission. You know, fast forward to the book of Revelation. We pretty much see the end of that story. Every tribe, nation, language, and people gather before the throne. The church is still growing, but often in places we don't even know about because our view of the world tends to be, unfortunately, more geopolitical than spiritual. We need to see the church in the way that Christ is looking at it, to see the church in unexpected places like Cuba, which is what you're looking at here. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, there is a Presbyterian church in Cuba as well. There are many other ones, but this be family. The church in Cuba is growing, and we are reminded of that and remembering that Christ is still on the march in growing that church. The last thing that I would share with you is that we need the global church because 
they can receive us as their equals. And here we really kind of turn the page because not only does do we need the global church, the global church needs us. And I close with this illustration from the church in Iraq. The Presbyterian church in Iraq in Basra, way down in the south part of Iraq, and standing there behind a communion table, not unlike the one that I'm standing behind. And in the center, you see a man in a white shirt, Elder Zuhair Fathullah, who has been, was at that time that this picture was taken in 2011, the acting pastor of this church, because Basra had been without a pastor for 10 years at that point. There had been no pastor to go to Basra. So he had been leading this church, and when I was on my way there in 2011 with a small team of brave Presbyterians, four pastors and three others, Zuhair said, oh please, if you are coming with some pastors, will you ask one of them to preach? Because I have been preaching for 10 years. And by the way, that is not his day job. Elder Zuhair Fathala is one of the leading reconstructive surgeons for children with facial deformities and people in accidents. He is also a teacher, a noted, a much decorated teacher at the medical school in Basra. And in his spare time has been leading a faithful congregation. He said, please have one of those pastors preach. And then he added, and please can one of them lead us in communion because it has been two years since we've had communion. And that gave me some pause, and I finally bravely said, because I've known Zuhair for 20 years, or at that time, 15 years, and I said, Zuhair, now I'm an elder, a duly ordained ruling elder in the church. I said, you are authorized to conduct communion without a pastor present if that is needed. He said, yes, Marilyn, I know it. And we tried it several times, but the congregation was uncomfortable with it. They want a pastor. And I said, well, not only will you have one, you may have all four pastors for a communion. And that's what this, when this picture was taken. Now, what I did not know, because I was sitting where you were looking up at them, but there with those communion elements covered, and as they were uncovered, these four pastors, Reverend Mark Mueller and Chris Weichman and Elmarie Parker and Tom Boone, who, by the way, is on his way to join me in Lebanon in just two days, These pastors would tell us later that it was an amazing experience as they uncovered those elements. The small congregation raised their cell phones to take a picture. And he said, as we we lifted aloft the bread symbolizing the broken body of Christ and that cup of wine, the symbol of Christ's blood shed for us, people began to weep. They began to weep to see communion in their midst. And I thought, when is the last time I wept as the communion elements were lifted aloft? Now I do pretty regularly because I call to mind this scenario. But the church needs us because we can show up to them. We have this magic ticket. It's called the American Passport. It can pretty much take us everywhere. Yes, into Syria. Yes, into North Korea. We can go to the church when they cannot come to us. And one of the other things, one of the other gifts that we receive in that process is the ability to read Scripture in a whole different way. There, I often say that there are now whole parts of Scripture that I can't even hear or read except to see it through the eyes and the experience of the global church. Again, when Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says we are hard-pressed but not crushed, We are perplexed, 
but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. I recognize that was not a passage written to North Avenue Presbyterian Church in Atlanta. It was not written to Third Church in Richmond, Virginia. We can learn from it, but it was not written for us. It was written to the church in Egypt and in Pakistan, in Iraq, in Syria, particularly today. We need that global church. We have gifts to give, to be mutually encouraged. It's one of those mystical bonds of faith created not through our actions, but through the unity that we have at that foot of the cross, knit together by the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Father, we do lift up before you the church in difficult places that we may be with them, that we may learn from them, that in some small ways we may be an encouragement to them as you are working out the furthering of your kingdom until every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And it's in his matchless name we pray. Amen.